This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Well, hey, you guys, it is so good to be back in the studio with my co-host, John Tinnan. And today we are tackling part two on the topic of shame. And John and I are also joined by Austin today. Hey, Austin. Hey, guys. Excited to talk about how to manage the weeds of shame. Yes. It's going to be fun. They are gnarly weeds. Yeah. (laughs) Gnarly Um, weeds. So are you you guys are ready to do this? Yeah, let's jump into it. Before we do it... um, I want to thank our listeners for mm-hmm. subscribing to us. The response has been beyond what we expected. Very encouraging. Yes. We are super encouraged. And if you like us, if you pass this along to a friend, it will enable us to keep doing what we're doing. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as we've been preparing to discuss these topics every week, and and this is where I feel like this is so valuable and so needed The topics that we're addressing are exactly what's coming up in my sessions with clients. And Mm. I don't think this is a coincidence. I really know that the things that we've been discussing in this Managing Your Emotions series are really meeting people where they are. And that, that has been really encouraging to me. And I think as we've been thinking about this issue of shame, we see as therapists that this is of particular importance because we recognize, like we talked about last time, that shame is more than a feeling. It's, it's really an infection of the soul, and it has profound implications for our lives. And I would say that in some sense, especially in counseling, we always have to be on the lookout for it because we understand that it's sort of like a software that's always operating in the background of people's lives and experiences. Yeah, so as a team, uh, we realized and what we want you to know as the listener is there is no way that you can ever be completely rid of shame. Mm -hmm. Even if you share part of your shame with someone who's really safe and in the moment you feel pretty good, Mm -hmm. you'll walk away from that conversation and you'll feel shame. It runs so deep. It's very intertwined with our experience. Just this side of heaven, we're not going to get rid of it. But good news is we can manage it, deal with it, and have hope that one day it will go away. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to impart to you today. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear you say that. It, it helps me. I'm thinking of the scriptures in John 16, 33. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And I think the experience of shame just continually, that might be part of one of those troubles are. But then Jesus hmm. says, take heart, I've overcome the world. So to hear that, will always kind of have some sort of remnant of shame. That helps me with my expectations. And if you're listening, maybe that's helpful for you to realize we might need to readjust our expectations. You know, if you're looking and longing to completely get rid of shame in your life, that's a good longing. 
your instincts are right. And yeah, just like John, just like you said, unfortunately, it's here to stay. So we can get relief, but not 100%. That's going to happen when Jesus returns. Yeah. So let's kind of direct our listeners as to where we're going to go today, because we want to talk about two ways to not manage shame. And then we're going to spend some time talking about better ways to manage shame. And then we're going to close with practical takeaways that people can work on right away. But I think why we've felt really passionate about covering this topic is because there are a lot of confusing and conflicting messages in our culture right now about how we should handle our shame. And the Christian community is absorbing this. We're all absorbing this, right? And and sometimes we don't know how to pull it through a biblical filter. But what we see is that people are going to YouTube and TED Talks and Twitter and podcasts. And it's like this never-ending search to answer the basic question, what do I do with this feeling that I have that I'm defective? What do I do with the shame that I feel about myself? But as we talked about last week, the root of shame is first and foremost a spiritual issue. So if we just assess shame at a superficial level, then we're going to address shame at a superficial level. And that's not good enough. And that's not good enough, no. right? Speaking of not good enough. And so um, I don't know about you, but I it seems like every reality TV show is kind of based on this attempt for people to cover their shame with a very, I would say, like a hedonistic or a self-aggrandizing, just sort of self-love, but it requires this constant affirmation, constant likes from everyone. And it's sort of like that old, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like oh, me. Stuart like, Smalley on yes, SNL. Yeah. Right, like just this <laughs> mantra that that we see people repeating to themselves over and over again. And trust me, I know that self-talk is important, but how far is this approach going to actually meet that deep need in our lives to be rid of shame? How far is that going to really move the needle. But the reality is, is that we're inundated with these messages on a daily basis. And and they're serious. I mean, narcissism is trending in a very big way right now in our culture, and we're just swimming in the waters of self-absorption. We can't get away from it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do this. I just thought of it. The Stuart Smalley thing. I knew of a conference speaker, 800 people, and he's got his mic on, and he goes to the bathroom right before his keynote speech, forgets to turn the mic off. He stands in front of the mirror and he goes, you can do this, tiger. Go get him, tiger. Don't be scared of him. They can't hurt you. You can do this. So he goes out and when he was introduced, the guy said, I'm going to ask tiger to come on up here. Everyone had heard what Uh he was saying in the bathroom. Oh my gosh. Um, No, but Lynn, Lynn, when when you were talking about how everybody's watching things on YouTube or on a TED Talk, I I think you're right. And and I want to actually, it sounds weird to say, I want to affirm this instinct to try and figure out the question of what's wrong with me. Hmm. And, And what I think that means is that everybody Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. They know and feel that this is a problem Mm -hmm. and everybody's looking for solutions. But like you said, in the end, those solutions fall short because they miss the heart of the issue. It's kind of like you take ibuprofen for a broken bone. Well, it's not going to fix the bone. might try to manage your pain for a little bit, but it, it, it just ultimately won't solve the problem. Yeah. And I think where people are going with this is 
They're really fixating on vulnerability, empathy, and self-compassion. And these are critically important. In fact, I would say that's the heart of why therapy works. That's why we have a job and why we're passionate about doing what we do. But we also know that ultimately, as much as we can apply those salves to our wounds, they still don't get to the root of our shame. Hmm. And, And as believers, we know that the primary antidote to our shame is the gospel. And we're going to get there in this episode, but I think our goal today is simply to just help you wade through these waters, get some clarity about how the Bible approaches shame, look at a story about how Jesus interacts with someone over their shame, and then just kind of help our listeners work through these things so that they don't stay stuck. So I think it's fair to say that this entire episode is essentially built on a quote by Kurt Thompson in his podcast on shame. So he's speaking about the character of God and how he relates with his people. And he said this, God is in the business of connecting on the way to correcting. I'll say it again. God is in the business of connecting on the way to correcting. And I think this relates to managing our shame. And part of the way to manage shame is to remember that we still have dignity and value in the face of any mistakes that we make. And so in that sense, we have connection. But we're not perfect yet right? We still have room to grow and learn from the mistakes that we make. And so we also need correction. And so we need both of those Mm. as we manage our shame. But we get into trouble when we exclude one or just focus on one at the expense of the other. Yeah, Austin, I'm glad you mentioned Kurt Thompson and his podcast series on shame. I would recommend to our listeners. Uh, It's awesome. Um, Let me pick up with what you're saying and elaborate on connection and correction by addressing the two ways to not manage shame. So the first way to not try and deal with shame is what the world has embraced, which is taking this connection piece and inflating it, overemphasizing it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is how I'm gonna get value, self-worth, my life will be more than just spit, I'm going to make myself big. And we've already referenced, you know, Stuart Smalley and go get him, Tiger. Like we all have that piece inside of us that fears I'm not enough. Do I have what it takes? So this overemphasis is pretty much forgetting what anyone else would say. No kind of like critical analysis. Mm -hmm. I just simply need to accept myself, be Mm -hmm. true to myself. I need everyone to approve of me. Mm -hmm. You do you, follow your Mm -hmm. heart, wherever it leads, yeah. Yeah, and this is very fragile and limited because you're only connecting to one thing and that's the power of yourself Mm -hmm. to promote yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not accepting yourself as much as you are promoting yourself to find acceptance. Mm -hmm. And self-promotion is gonna be futile, It's going to be exhausting. It's going to leave you feeling even worse. If you only have yourself, it's like having an electric car without a charging station. You're only going to go so far. So let me make sure I'm getting this right. When you say the world emphasizes, overemphasizes connection, this connection you're talking about is the need to feel valuable and respected and loved. And what you're saying is the overemphasis is in the face of shame, I'm going to double down. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get bigger. I'm going to go, let's go tiger. And it's all about me and self-promotion. But if that's all we do, we're going to be like that electric car. You charge up, but there's no charging station and you're just going to peter out in the end. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. 
And to take it further, the connection piece is what we're designed for by God. We want to be seen. Somebody sees me. Somebody gets me. Somebody outside of me that I look up to. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to be safe. I want to be comforted and soothed. I want to be secure. This is all behind this idea of connection. And those are legitimate needs, but we're going about it in a way that, like you said, drains drains the battery. We We have nothing left. There's not enough in us Mm -hmm. or the people around us to completely charge that battery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So simply put, I think what you're saying is you cannot, we cannot overcome our shame by ourselves. We can't. We can't do it. We have to have someone else do that. (laughs) That kind of connection that we're looking for and designed for cannot be found inside of ourselves or ultimately in another person. Now, the biblical idea of connection is very different and it's more robust than what the world offers. You can't overcome your shame by your own power and how many followers you have or likes you get. Um, It just won't work. Now, the second way to not deal with shame is another overemphasis, but this one's on correction. Mm. And this is often found in the church. You know, C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters where uh, the evil one, Satan, is trying to convince his nephew on how to trip up Christians, says something really interesting. He says, nowhere do we tempt so successfully as on the very steps of the altar. So this is a little bit subtle, and it lives kind of masquerading as a way to become a better Christian. Mm-hmm. So you come into this with, you know, I'm, I really feel worthless. I need to get my act together. So we become really harsh on ourselves. I have clients that literally tell me if it were not for beating themselves up, mm-hmm. getting a good kick in the pants, they would be disasters. So I often will say, so let, let me understand it. Your hope then is beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so let me make sure I get this right. What sounds like you're saying is when a person or an institution like the church corrects somebody without any sort of connection, it's harsh and it's unloving, and therefore it calls into question the dignity of the person, and so it leaves them hurt, confused, isolated, alone, and they've got to figure out, well, what do I do with this shame? Let me just work harder. Let me try to get rid of it. So outwardly, it looks like doing all the right things that Jesus commands, and yet the reason why they're doing it is because it's out of fear, it's out of panic, it's a way to manage shame. It's a self-empowered, self-improvement project that, well, we call religion. Right, And that's the opposite of the gospel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a little bit outside of talking about the church, but I thought of a story that illustrates just correction only. When I was five years old, uh, I went to Silver Dollar City with my grandparents. My grandpa's driving in the front seat. My grandma's on the passenger seat. She says, Austin, you need to buckle that seatbelt, please. And me, like the respectful five-year-old, I said, no. Mm -hmm. And my grandpa, out of nowhere, slapped my arm, scared me to death. I'm screaming. I'm yelling. My grandma started yelling at him. But there was no warning at all. And he corrected me, boom, like that. And so I tell that story for two reasons. uh, Because not only is an example just of, again, only correction— Now, I needed to be corrected, but it came with zero connection. But the other thing is that story is imprinted onto my consciousness and became a part of my story, and now there's some shame associated with that. Well, the other thing is he hit you. So 
you don't have the ability to process this, but the impression you get as a five-year-old is if I do something wrong, something violent has to happen to me, mm. something really hard. Mm. And that becomes an imprint. Right. Well, that's a good example of how our experiences become part of our brain filters, part of our story. And we end up oftentimes, if we go for correction as the way to deal with shame, like especially in a religious context or a church context, we end up believing in our core that what's going to keep us on the right track, keep us from sinning, is if I'm really hard on myself, if I punish myself. Mm. And what's really sad about this, if you hold to this, is you're really believing that the power for growth into the image of Jesus is not God's love and kindness or the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not being connected to God, but it's your own willingness to condemn yourself. Opposite of the gospel. I love the way John Michael Cusick frames the gospel in two words, come closer. Mm. Because Jesus has been condemned in our place. He's saying, you belong to me. And to make it personal, and this is the way I sometimes think about it, that leads me into a kind of a worship mode, is I imagine Jesus saying, I want the John Tenon that can't stop sinning. I want the John Tenon that is still stuck in the same daggum sin patterns he knew about when he was 20, and they're still here now that I'm 60. Mm. Yeah, I I hear you. And as I think about the church way that we're describing, which is sort of that overemphasis on correction, you know, we can experience that in the form of, you know, like the morality police, you mm -hmm. know, or, I, you know, legalism is something that, you know, a lot of us are familiar with or maybe we grew up with. But that can ignore the dignity and the value of the person because it's focusing on the behavior or a concern for following God's commands, which is a good impulse, because God's commands are good, and they, they're they there to, to help us, to train us, to guide us, to help us thrive. They protect us. They protect us, like they're boundaries. But sometimes it's sought after at the expense of connection and empathy and understanding. And sometimes I think that even well-meaning people are using shame as a means of change as opposed to a signal that change is needed. And we talked about that in part one, shame being a signal that something needs to change. And as I was thinking about this, um, I was remembering a story that I kind of encountered this as a seminary student. I was in my early 20s and try, still trying to figure life out, right? About 10 years ago. In right? Your early, mm -hmm. Right. Thanks, mm -hmm. Austin. Yeah. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was talking with a seminary professor that I admired, and I was kind of getting to know him a little bit. And we were having a conversation, and I opened up to him about some patterns in my life that were, honestly, they were embarrassing and, um, you know, kind of hard for me to talk about, but I was seeking some guidance and some help. And his response to me is something that I will never forget, and it left me stunned and hurt. Um, but basically, he said, you know, Lynn, um, you've disqualified yourself from the love of a godly man. Hmm. And, I mean, talk about feeling shamed. Oh, oh, my gosh. I mean, I felt like I had been slapped in the face. I felt like this was a stinging rebuke that was designed to keep me paralyzed by shame. And although this was an area of my life that I knew needed correction 
and I was looking for hope and and looking for guidance, I felt like the words that he spoke over me had the power to keep me stuck in a really bad place. And I can say now, many years later, that God is faithful and he's good. And even this painful comment became part of my growth process. But I will tell you guys that that has stuck with me. That story stands out in my mind. And it's actually informed the way that I do counseling. Hmm. And, and so what's happened over the years is as I've counseled women in particular who are wrestling with their shame stories, I have pointedly and purposefully and confidently told them, you are not disqualified from the love of a godly man. And you are not disqualified from God's love. Because I've come to know through years of my own work and my own journey, just how tricky shame is and how it can be used against people to try to control their behavior. And I can see how God took that and he's used it and been able to kind of undo that curse of shame that was spoken over me in those moments. Um, But this is where we have to learn to move from, you know, like you were talking about earlier, John, um, you know, I am who I say I am, like just the total self-determining phrases, or I am who others say I am, where we're taking in messages that others are giving to us. And we have to get to this place where we can confidently say, I am who you say I am. Mm. I am who God says I am. He is the source of my value, my identity, my purpose, and my sense of self-worth. Gosh, Lynn, thanks so much for sharing that story. I I mean, you were vulnerable, and I know that's probably not easy. And as I heard that, it's almost like shame says that you're disqualified. Mm -hmm. And I can see how maybe this way of correction, it can even come from a good place or a desire to point people to obedience, but can also be used by the enemy to keep us stuck in some dark places. And and maybe that's where some people are right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe, man, one of the most powerful things you said in this story was, you're not disqualified from the love of God. No. Mm-mm. And, you know, you're not disqualified from love from other people, men or women. So I'm so thankful that you shared that. And I hope our listeners really do find some some life and some peace mm-hmm. in hearing that. Thank you so much for listening to With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text this episode to a friend and find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. All right, so we've seen two ways not to manage shame. It doesn't work to only focus on the connection piece, doubling down on getting your self-worth and love and value through self-promotion, nor does it work to only focus on correction. Just stop it, do something different. Uh, Neither of these work because they're both ways that we try to take shame onto ourselves as something we have to fix and we have to get rid of. We can't take away our shame. Only God can do that. And I'm going to ask you to like kick in on this a little bit, Austin. You're going to show us a better way, but like maybe you need to say this is not a 50-50 thing. Like it's a balance of connection and correction. They're both in play, 100 and 100. 
Right. We need both. We To manage our shame, we need connection and correction. So let's start with the first piece of connection. There's two aspects of this. There's a vertical connection and horizontal connection. I'm going to start the vertical. This vertical connection we're talking about here is the connection with Jesus. This is the game changer because if we're following Jesus and we believe in him, it means that he has broken the ultimate power of shame. And there's two scriptures, not the only two, but two that are really relevant. The first one is from the New Testament book of Hebrews 12, verse 2. We quoted it last episode. It says, Jesus, because of the joy set before him, endured the cross and despised the shame. And so Jesus, he hated shame so much that he endured the cross. He literally died to break the power of shame. And he did something that we could not do. And guess what? That is nothing new for God. He's been doing this from the beginning of the story in Genesis. He's been doing things for us that we can't do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's go back to Genesis 3. Right, Adam and Eve, they sinned, and the first thing they did was they hid from God in the bushes. And God blessed their little hearts. They made these little fig leaves to try and cover themselves, and it didn't work. It didn't do anything. God could clearly see them. But if you fast forward to the end of Genesis 3, right before God expels Adam and Eve from the garden. And notice what he does for them. Verse 21 says, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. And so God took away those little fig leaves and he gave them clothing. Now, he didn't have to do that for them, but he wanted to do it because he loved them. And, and that's the pattern. God gives us what we cannot provide for ourselves. And so just like God gave Adam and Eve clothing, so too God gave us Jesus, who was the one who broke the ultimate power of shame in and through his death and resurrection. This is the vertical connection that we're talking about. Yeah, and the thing about that clothing mm. is he had to shed the blood of an animal to make that skin clothing. And that is a pointer to Jesus shedding his blood on our behalf. So right at the very beginning, God is saying, the solution will be me to destroy myself so that you're not consumed. So this is what's really different from the world's efforts to manage shame, because true healing from shame is only going to grow from connection, as we have described it, with Jesus. And that vertical connection with God empowers a horizontal connection with other people. Um, we need relationships with other people. Uh, I like to say the phrase Jesus with skin on. Mm, yeah. You know, God meets all of our needs. They're all met by him, but not all of them are met through him. He uses people to serve up grace to us in a way that's felt and tangible. And we get from other people the feeling of withness. Somebody's with me. Okay, this is why we call this series or this podcast With You in the Weeds, because we need people with us to give us a felt experience that God is with us. We get compassion from people, certain people. <laughs> we get vulnerability, like we're able to be fully known and accepted in the face of it. Our vulnerability can come out. Uh, and then we get empathy. Now, when we receive these things from other people and we then can give them to other people, slowly but surely over time, shame begins to lose some of its power. 
John, can I jump in here for a second? Why would you say that is? Why would you say shame loses its power in the face of qualities like compassion and vulnerability and empathy? Austin, the only answer I can come up with for that is because this is the way God decided to -hmm. deal with it. Mm -hmm. Instead of judgment, I'm done with you, he chose himself to become vulnerable and himself to enter into our shame and take our shame on us in the cross. He decided that this is the way I'm going to fix it. Mm -hmm. That's the best answer I can come up with. Yeah, and you know what I've noticed is that when we start to have these felt needs met, like you said, through other people with, you know, Jesus' skin on, is that that correction flows out of that. You know, I want to start to change my behavior. I I want to um, work on these patterns in my life that could be destructive to me or to other people. But it's like the connection comes first before the correction can really kick into place and take hold. Yeah, and it's so frustrating when you want to and you find that you can't. And so you have to constantly go back to Jesus is connected to me. Right. And And he's committed to that connection. Yeah, and what I also want to bring in is, and, you know, to follow Jesus means we need to be corrected. But the reason why we make those corrections, it makes all the difference. We do it because we want to, not because we have to. Yeah, And he is the master of that connection. Uh, There are times when we feel like we've lost that connection or we deserve to lose that connection. And Jesus never breaks that connection. The feelings that we have about it can come and go, like, you know, waves come up on a shore. They go in and they go out. But God is always constant because he's committed to it. the story of Peter is a really good way to kind of summarize it. Yeah, it's to, a, to bring it all together, yeah. It's a great picture. If you're not familiar with it, he promised Jesus, hey, I will go with you to the very end. I will never deny you. And Jesus said, well, you know, you, you will. You're going to. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he did. He denied him. And he was filled with failure. He was filled with shame. All of his bravado and self-promotion came crashing down. And yet here's how Jesus approached him. He came back to him and restored him. Hmm. Peter denied him three times, and Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I wish I had more time to go into some of the details, but he kept drilling down in front of the disciples the notion that, Peter, really, you didn't love me. And the last question The third time when he said, do you love me? Peter was hurt. And I would call this love wounding. Maybe that's a really good way of looking at correction. Because Peter had to learn that it was not his love for Jesus, but him being loved by Jesus in his utter failure and shame. And this is when his life took a course correction. Now, one of the things I love about the placement of this story, it's at the end of John's gospel. At the very end, what we're told is that there were so many things that could have been included in the gospel, and the world couldn't contain enough books to contain all the things that could be written about Jesus's life. So out of all of these things John could have used, he chose this story Mm of Peter's failure and shame and the way Jesus wounded him 
by loving him, which led to a course correction to end his gospel. And by virtue of where John places this story at the end of his gospel and chooses this story, I think it makes a very strong statement about what a Christian's mission in life should be. And I'm going to suggest that it is to experience the love of God for us in the face of our shame and failure, because that's something that is good news that we can tell the church and the world. Yeah, and I just love this idea that we're talking about, that when we bring our shame into relationship with Jesus, with other people, we can actually experience cleansing. We can experience healing. I love 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I just get this visual, you know, when the Bible talks about we're being covered and clothed with the the robes of Jesus's righteousness, there's just this sense in which it's like this umbrella that comes over us and it protects us from um, just those messages from the enemy around our shame, around our failures, our mistakes. And we have a Savior who can identify with us in this. And in that story with Peter, as he comes closer, um, we just get that picture of how Jesus welcomes us right where we are at. The, the correction comes later, but he connects with him first. Yep. So let's do this. Let's land the plane for our listeners. We're going to talk about three practical things you can do to begin to manage your shame. Here's the first, self-evaluation. And I start with that because if you go back to Genesis 3, the first thing God asked of Adam and Eve after they sinned was, where are you? He knew where they were, but he was trying to help Adam and Eve see where they were. They needed self-evaluation. We need the same thing. So here's two parts to this. The first part is, where and how have you experienced correction in your story? And then the second part is where and how are you lacking connection? And these might be some difficult questions to ponder and to think about, but when you know how bad it is, you remember just how good the good news is. So figure out where are you? Here's the second takeaway. Remember that God has taken away your shame. If you forget it, memorize maybe a verse like Romans 10, 11. It says, Everyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, just memorize that. Put it in places where you're going to see all over the time. Put a sticky note on the bathroom mirror, on the dash of your car, or on your computer. Just remember those things. So even when you're feeling it, your destination is no shame. Exactly right. Third and final takeaway is just find someone to share the places where you feel the shame. You know, this person needs to show you compassion and empathy and be okay with you being vulnerable. And, and you can ask for that, but also you can be the person to listen to someone's shame. You can show that compassion and empathy in the face of their vulnerability. And this last one, if you're like me, this might be the hardest thing for you to do. And so I get that. But I would say that it's one of the most important things to do because shame loses its power in the face of genuine relationships. And this takes time, so be patient with yourself and with others, and just take that first step and keep at it. Well, we're going to be talking about shame for some time, guys. It won't go away until Jesus returns. Thanks for listening. Uh, We hope that you put these takeaways into practice as you think about your own shame story and just how you can bring that into relationship with Jesus and with others. So thanks for being here, guys. 
Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at WithYouInTheWeeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.